We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is created. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all First Nations people listening today. And it does start to feel like a craft. Sometimes it is just like making a pot or something and you need to practice those skills. My name's Emily McKnight and this is An Actor Survives, a podcast that digs deep into Australia's most creative minds to uncover the tools you need to survive a career as an actor. Welcome, Sean O'Shea, to An Actor Survives. Thank you very much. And I would like to know, how long have you been an actor? And when was the first moment that you called yourself an actor? I think I was embarrassed to call myself an actor when I first started, but um, I remember doing a... um, Before I went to acting school, I did an independent show where we all got paid a little bit of money. And that was the first time that I'd ever got money for a show. And I thought, oh, am I allowed to call myself an actor now? So I probably started to say to people then that, that I was That was before an actor. drama school. That was before drama ah. school. And then once I was at drama school, I think, I, you know, like everybody, I called myself a student actor. And um, I was like, yeah, once I got out, yeah, I was like, I was comfortable calling myself an actor then. But I did struggle, I mean, because I was doing independent stuff for a while before I did, you know, got that first time. Oh, wow, I got paid. And I did sort of struggle with it for a little while. Sometimes I still do, to be honest. Sometimes if the taxi driver says, what do you do? I say, I'm a teacher or something, which is, mm. well, I'm not quite sure why, but just because maybe I think, I don't always feel like the conversation about like, oh, what have I seen you in? And Yeah, and, oh, some kind not, of it, have justification. That's right. If you're not on television or you're not really an actor. And so, yeah, I'm, yeah. I have a good friend of mine who says, or when she says to people, I'm an actor and they say, what have you seen me in? They go, she goes, well, what have you seen? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Do you go to the theatre? And they go, no. I go, well, you haven't seen me. So yeah, yeah. that's a good answer. Yeah. 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 When did you go to drama school and where did you go? I went to Whopper very happily in the late eighties, would you believe? And then, so we were just chatting before and you said your first Bell Shakespeare job was 91. So yes, I was at acting school 87, 89, and then I had 90 out. And that was when John was first putting the company together. And I auditioned that first year and didn't get in. And then in 91, I was asked to go and join. So I was extremely lucky. Did you have ambition at drama school to do Shakespeare and or theatre specifically? Was that where you were headed? This is an extraordinary thing that often people don't believe but when we were I remember sitting around on the lawns at WAPA having a conversation with my peers in third year and we were talking about where would you want to be what would your dream job be and I said and this is honestly true and there had been no inkling of this in the industry or anything, I said, wouldn't it be good if there was some kind of national Shakespeare company, it would take someone like a John Bell to put it together. Wow. And within 
18 months or so, I was in, yeah, so incredible Maybe he was luck. walking past at that time. <laughs> and if he was visiting Perth or something. That's so, right. you know, I often think about that and think the incredible luck of that. And, you know, John would even say it was incredible luck that he could even make the company. It took a very generous day. I mean, there were lots of people who, who donated money to get that company off the ground, but it was really one man who gave an absolute fortune to get those first couple of years going. Mm. Uh, so John would say it was lucky and I was just lucky to be you know it was easier to get in then because they were looking for 20 people they weren't just looking for what you know they were starting new and John wanted a lot of new people in the company uh, so it was there were so many variables that if I'd been out by a couple of years probably never would have happened and I did many plays with them over the years so yeah I mean since then you know, you've been in plenty of plays with them, plenty of other theatre around Australia. Have you kind of managed then to just have that theatrical career only or have you had to have other jobs, I suppose, to sort of support yeah. yourself? Um, I started teaching about maybe about 10 years out of acting school, which I was terrified of to start with. I have to say people had asked me a few times, oh, you know, would you like to come take a class? And I'd sort of got scared of it and acting, said no teaching, acting. yeah yeah right. teaching acting I was sort of I'm not quite sure what I was frightened of but I, I I guess I just thought who am I to be telling people how to act but then when I started doing it after I sort of got over those initial nerves I found that I really enjoyed that and that sort of led to a little you know I've done some directing too but only sort of in in in, in schools in acting schools kind of mm. situation mostly which was really a progression a natural progression out from the uh, from the teaching. Oh, and, and I, I had a slight career crisis about halfway through when I started studying distance, and so I, I qualified as a naturopath. While but while wow. I was but I was still working and doing plays. It was a lovely thing to learn. It was nice to use yeah. a different part of my brain, but um, I don't really use that mm. much more apart from just in my life. Generally. I guess it's in your back pocket if you yeah, yeah, if you did yeah, decide that you yeah. wanted a career change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, I'm not even entirely sure now when I look back why I chose that because it was a lot of hard work. It was yeah, a lot of study. I imagine so, yeah. And yeah. so now I think, well, maybe I should have put that study into, you know, I don't know, something <laughs> more in line with the theatre world or something. But I, I think at that stage... I specifically wanted it to be something not at all related. What's like the longest that you've gone between jobs? And how did you fill that time? Just with teaching or? The pandemic was the longest that right. I've ever, yeah. I've never gone anything like the pandemic. I mean, I've always done at least a play a year. Yeah. Usually, you know, more. So that was deeply awful which uh, which it was for everybody and I know a lot of people had far far worse um, mm. things happen in the pandemic than me but like all of us you suddenly you have that was taken away and you didn't really know what the how long for or what the future was going to be it was a really it was an awful time where you suddenly rethink everything and think oh well what what do I do now what happens if this if this finishes now Mm. Now what, you know? And did you find a way to kind of be creative somehow in that time? I was doing Zoom stuff where you're sort of doing these acting tutorials across Zoom. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I, I really didn't know how to even begin doing that. And so after a while, we sort of gave that away. And then, and then I just sort of went, okay, I don't really want to 
try and figure out how to do things on Zoom. I mean, I, it's brilliant that people did, but it just sort of made me miss it more. I thought, yeah. I think I'd rather just go out into the garden or or cook my sourdough or do, yep. all, you know, do <laughs> yep. all that kind of stuff. Totally. I just think it, it just made me even sadder if I sort of yeah. looked at people trying to do plays on Zoom and stuff like that because I just thought, well, I just miss being in the room together. As a theatre actor in Sydney, I mean, you're one of the few that has had such an amazing long career doing that do you are you now at the point where theater companies just go oh we need sean o'shea for this role and call you up or do you still have to do auditions oh no uh, both um and it goes through phases like i'm, I'm not <laughs> right. sure i'm in a phase at the moment where they go we'll get sean o'shea ring him up they, they certainly have in the past and then companies forget about you for a while and some you know and other people sort of start playing the roles that you could play and look it comes in phases and you just have to sort of go okay i'll try not to take that personally yeah, sometimes it's just ask, but but other times it's absolutely come in and and read for it, you know, and it changes too as you move into different ages and different kind of phases that, oh, suddenly now I'm playing those people and, and they might not see you more in that way. So, you know, you just have to ride those. There are times where the offers come more and times where they don't come at all and you just have yeah. to try and ride those things out and after a while you've been doing it for much longer than any one person will be in charge as an artistic director or something sometimes you might have to write out a whole a whole reign of of someone who's running a company or something when you think oh okay well they don't well, for whatever reason they don't particularly like me and okay yeah. i'll just you know wait I'll, till the I'll next wait till the, yeah that's right <laughs> yeah wait till they move on uh yeah so there's no i'm certainly not in it situation where i think oh okay that's it now the offers will keep coming in mm. i mean they could it just all stop tomorrow you know and i might never get another one ever again and you have to go mm. oh well it's nice while it lasted yeah well, and that's part of the adventure of it isn't it yeah that, the ups and downs yeah of not knowing if you're going to get a play or get a role in something i think so then... i think so and and people with much more higher profile and man, I don't have a high profile at all. No one would have a clue who I was, but but Except for people that have been going to Bell Shakespeare with their grand since the year two thousand. Well that would be well, that's very nice. But um certainly like your average kind of GP people. But but even when you talk to people with a high profile, I think they think the same thing. I think they still think, Oh, it could all stop tomorrow, you know and mm. uh, so, you know, you just oh, look, I just think a lot of it is luck too, but and when you do have an audition and maybe you aren't successful, how do you cope with that? There's only been a few that I've found really devastating that I just sort of, just those rare ones that come along that you just go, I know I will be good in this. And those, I don't know how you get over that because you just, because I have to say there's been a couple that really knocked me. They're pretty rare, I have to say. The other ones I think, oh, well, you know. Hmm they didn't want me and so that's okay yeah <laughs> i mean what else can you do what yeah. else can you do otherwise you just start to go crazy i think you start to you have to really try not to take all that stuff personally which i know is so easy to say harder to do but um as you just get a bit older you just think oh well that's that's all i got that's it like yeah. <laughs> that's that's all i got to offer so you don't want it, it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah yeah do you 
have an agent now and have you always had that same agent? No, no, I have a lovely agent now. I have Sue Barnett is my agent now, but she wasn't the agent that I had out of acting school by any means. Did you get one straight away? I did get one straight away, but um, not, not as high profile as Sue. And in between then, did you kind of have some freelance time or did you no, just I bought, no, I always, to, no, I always had that. an agent. Um, and I started to get theatre sort of fairly quickly. So sometimes I think that they can forget about you a little bit when you... When you um, so sometimes I wasn't sure that it made a huge difference. It wasn't like I was going for a lot of film and TV auditions and stuff like that. I think they go, oh, it's okay. He's, particularly in those early days of Bell, you would, you would work a good part of the year. I mean, the first year that I joined Bell, you didn't just do one play, you did... You were rehearsing three plays at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They were. They did them in rep for a couple of years before oh. they changed the. Um, now they might do two plays a year, but they you know rehearse and tour one play, and then they'll rehearse and tour the, the next play later mm-hmm. in the year. Like the first year I joined, we were rehearsing Richard the Third, Merchant of Venice, and Hamlet all at the same time. So in a big place in the city that had you know three rooms. And we'd rehe- and then you take them all on the road at the same time. So for a, for right. an actor straight out of acting school, it was just heaven. Yeah. Because you just got to do a lot. And big production too, not like a small touring no, thing. No, that's like, right. Yeah. Big produ- and so you would come into the theatre at night when you were on tour and depending what was hanging on your costume rack, that's how you'd know what uh, you go, oh, we're doing... I mean, obviously we had a schedule, but, but you know, we all knew the plays and you'd, if you didn't bother looking, you'd just come in and say, oh, that, that's, that's wow. we're, doing, we're doing Hamlet tonight. What and a thrill. It was an absolute thrill. It was an absolute yeah. thrill. They changed the... Um, the model because they found that you know the company was doing quite well but people would just go and see one they'd um, go oh bell shakespeare's in town we'll go and see one of those plays so they go and see one whereas then they then they found if, if they go to the if they go like say they were going to melbourne if they went to melbourne early in the year with one play everyone would go see that and then if they went later in the year with a different play everyone would go and see that but if they took two at the same time people would only go and see oh, one oh so they'd they, pick which one they want yeah, to see rather than yeah i see that makes sense but it was you know just a gift for a young actor trying to notch up experience and get sort of stage hours up and mm. uh, uh, and and so we would tour from you know a good part of the year with mm. with all that and that's one of the things they can't teach you at acting schools I really believe Absolutely. in acting schools but um but they can't do long runs they can't do that really just getting your kind of acting chops up of just being in front of an audience night after night after night, you know, yeah. either with the same play or with different plays if you're lucky enough to be doing anything in rep, which sort of barely exists in the country now. Mm. It is invaluable, that kind of just mm. how many hours have you actually spent in front of an audience, you know, just totally, honing yeah. those skills and gaining comfort with that too. I think you just, I mean, I just remember, you know, you'd do those rehearsals when you were at acting school, you know, to lead, leading up to your five performances. And you, you were just so full of anxiety and stress for all of those five. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, when you, you know, some years later, all of a sudden you're doing your hundredth mm. night of a particular play or something. And yeah. that year, it's just a different 
ballpark then you can start to focus on different things and different parts of the mm. craft and and it does start to feel like a craft not every night has to be you know I'm immersing myself in high art sometimes it is just like making a pot or something you know like and you need to practice those skills you know you need yeah. to get those skills up and and mm. match fit and the stamina too of yeah. being able to continuously be in a show and yeah. be yeah 100% and, yeah and, you know. or or what do you do when you're not feeling 100% but you yeah. still have to go on we were having this conversation the other day in the, in the in the dressing room because we were talking about you know oh i hope you know what if covid comes along and you, and you miss a show and i i went back and i'm i'm really 99% sure unless i've forgotten something i've never missed a show so that's what I'm really hoping, and I'm touching wood here, which you can't see on the. Um, um, I'm really hoping I don't get it. Uh, we've only got one more week of the ensemble show because then obviously I'll have to go off, and we've got an understudy, so the show would keep going on. Mm. But it would wreck my, ruin my record. You've um, never missed a I've show. I've never missed a show, and of course, so there are Amazing. times when you're really sick, and and that teaches you something too about like what is the, what can I do to help me get through this, and and it's hard now unfortunately for young actors coming out which is another part of you know why i just say luck luck you know uh it's quite hard for young actors coming out to get that kind of those kind of runs on the board that kind of experience you know so everyone's just sort of waiting for a big break now whereas uh, i don't want to sound noble or anything it's so not um but i just wanted to work you know i just wanted and i was lucky enough to get that and that was largely through through bell and that after a while led to other companies and so you get more experience working with other authors and but mm. in those but without those first early days of bell i i, mm. I think i my career would be in a different place if at all but it's interesting that concept of you're right i think there is a bigger emphasis placed on wanting to have a break or having yeah. to having to make yeah. it in some way yeah but even if you are someone that just wants to work i think one of the challenges of the industry that i'm certainly finding is actually even getting in the room for auditions yeah right. because often they're not very open or if they no. don't know who you are or they want to go with reliable people that they already know yeah there can be an uh, an issue with companies auditioning in this country i think that people are are waiting for a miracle to happen they're waiting for some amazing creature who you know ticks every box to walk through the door and i and occasionally when i've already been cast in a show this has happened a couple of times i'm in the audition room and so i get to see these young Ah. terrified actors come in and audition and I've certainly been one of those many times in my life so of course they're all terrified and I've not been impressed with the way that the people running it work with them Mm. Um, having done a bunch of teaching myself I sit there and I sort of have to bite my tongue and think uh, you know and the, and the poor terrified person then leaves the room and they everyone sort of looks at each other and goes mm, no it didn't really do it for me and I think but what did you do to help them did like did you really get up and work with them like mm. because really they're coming in and putting their, themselves on the line well a director should get up and put themselves on the line as well and start working with them and see because otherwise you're just waiting for a miracle to come through the door and I think they're 
I think they're missing people. You know, say a role like Ophelia, you can sort of, we build up this idea about this extraordinary human being. She's, she's, she's a girl. She's just a girl who mm. terrible, terrible things happen to because appalling things happen around her. And mm. yet, yet, yet we invent that she has to be this extraordinary sort of waif-like miraculous creature. And I, I think because I hear people sort of say that, oh, but, you know, so difficult to find someone like that. I think, what? She's a young woman. Mm. Like, why, why is that hard to find? Really, your number one priority for that should be we're looking for a great actor. Yeah. We're looking for the best actor. The best actor who walks through the door really should get that role. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm not talking about any specific affiliate at all. Insert your own role. It could be any role. I just think sometimes there's a lot of fuss made about how it's so difficult to find these new actors. Damien Ryan's very good at finding new actors because he will like, yeah. get, like, come through the door and he'll get up and he'll work with them. I, I just don't often think that the right people are in the room. You know, a young actor comes in, the, the director doesn't know how to work with an actor to kind of get them past that stage of just, I need, I'm terrified and I just need to kind of go and impress. No one does good acting like that. So everyone mm. does kind of go, oh, they were a bit disappointing when they walk out the door. And they end up getting someone that they've got in before that somebody knew or so, you know. And Who's that, that more just, relaxed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it just comes down to so much luck that people are being missed. Because they are different skills as an actor, aren't they? Yes. The audition room and and both in terms of film and TV and theatre yes. to then the performance of it. Yeah. It's completely different. Yeah. And a lot of it is because of that feeling that you have as an actor of wanting to impress or... Oh, there's nothing worse, is there? It's terrible yeah. and you just, like, you know, you feel like you're being so obsequious and, you know, they say, so, oh, yes, 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 and they say something, you know, that really probably is fairly derogatory about the work and you go oh yes 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 sorry i was being too oh no i'll do it this way and you just think oh it's just i've looked back on some of them that you know i haven't got and just cringe and think, yeah. oh god yeah. god how awful do you have a method of acting that you follow that either you learned at drama school or have learned along the way that you sort of swear by and tell everyone about the book no <laughs> in a word no which sounds kind of funny because I've taught a lot over the years, so I must be teaching something. But, um, you know, I'm quite drawn to, as, as I get older, I'm quite drawn to actors like, I've seen Bill Nye talk about this and I've seen Anthony Hopkins certainly talk about it and they kind of go, uh, Bill Nye said, I'm, I'm just perplexed when people ask me what my method is because what is it what is it even like and he says no i don't have a method and anthony hopkins famously sort of says no no learn the lines and show up you know yeah uh, he really learns them apparently but, but i would say that that is their method you know like their yeah. method is to, you know because anthony hopkins says no i don't have a method i just learn the lines i do them 200 times before i walk on a set and i think well That's anthony that'll be a method yeah you know? um but I think his thing is, no, I don't want to get into the method and I don't sort of think I am now the character and please everybody address me by the character or anything like that. He just, like, it, I get so on top of the language that the language starts to kind of um, dictate who this human being is. And Bill Nye is a bit just like, no, you just learn it and pretend and show up. And, and I, look, I'm a bit like that too. So, no, I don't have, like, a method or a book or anything like that. But, look, over the years... You know what works for you and what doesn't. I mean, I, I, I read a lot. I, I, 
but how much of that ends up in the performance? I don't know. Like, I'm playing King Charles II at the moment, for example. So I would read a lot about King Charles II. I mean, that, that's a pretty obvious one because he's actually a real historical person. But even when it's not, there's, there's always something that you can read, whether or not it's something that the designer has, where they're setting it, or, or you know, even if it's completely, which it normally is, fictional piece of work, there's usually something that you can read. And stuff like that triggers my imagination, I guess. So but, the reading a lot is based on what you happen to be playing, not reading a lot in terms of actor methods. No, no, not act. Yeah. No, I don't find those useful at all. I used to read a lot more of those when I was younger, all those interviews with, you know, you buy a book and there's 12 actors in it talking about maybe a specific role. There are certainly a whole bunch of them on Shakespeare or people talking about a method or uh, I have a great, great, not just um, suspicious of, but um, sort of, almost contempt for really guru teachers i find that really really worrying yeah and i've seen some in action who taught for a long long time and really haven't done any you know are not actors themselves and so sort of create this sort of aura around them about like i i i can just take one look at you and tell you what you need and so uh, um there's sort of power to be had in that oh i i find that the same I, that's a big problem i think in the acting world yeah because i am someone that has been pulled in by them and and have many times not really recently but in the past gone if i go to this acting teacher yeah. i'll never not get an audition again because yeah. it tells they'll tell me the exact method yeah. of yeah that is absolute bullshit and you learn that very quickly when you start to teach too i mean i i was struck really even then the, the when i first started doing it and i felt so insecure as a teacher and what am i doing here i have no right to be telling these people how to act anyway i'm still trying to figure it out myself as we all are all the time it's yeah. never figured out but then all of a sudden you go oh wow they're really uh endowing me with with this power and and you have to constantly Pull yourself up and make sure that you are not taking that on board when you teach. You really have to eat a bit of humble pie and go, okay, it's just the situation, and you know, it's, it's I'm not saying anything magical at all, and mm. uh, and just try and work with these people. And the challenging thing about when you teach, I think, and this is tied up, I think, in your question about what 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 is what method. The challenging thing when you're teaching is is figuring out what will help each individual. Like, so whereas the guru will go, okay, here's my formula for acting yes. that kind of suits all, you know, and within that they might say, oh, you're this kind of person and you're a different kind of person, but this is sort of how yeah. you act. Follow but, my seven-step seven process yeah, and yeah, that's all you yeah. need. Yeah. Rather than looking at someone's work and going, well, what could I say that would open a door for you and would be might, might be something that you could explore but that certainly does not not entail and I don't think ever should uh, it'll open doors for you if we sit and you tell me about you know when you were abused as a child oh, or something like that yeah. all that stuff I just think is so 
like really should be banned from I think it's abusive don't get me started it's a long it's a long chat this one because I'm quite passionate about teaching and I've seen some that I thought was bordering on abuse and it's just a million dollar industry at the moment I mean I suspect the industry of actually teaching people to act is much bigger than the industry of actual acting yeah and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of bullshit in it but there's also some really great teachers too so you know yeah, of course. And it just is that situation, though, especially when there are so many people wanting to make their way as actors and they go to these classes and they put their trust or put these people on this pedestal that, you know, this person's going to give me the answers that I need yeah. to have a successful career. And, and I'm going to have a breakthrough. Everyone's looking yeah, for a breakthrough. Yeah. And, I don't, and it's actually quite liberating to think, and if you are going to do classes, and also if you're teaching, there's no such thing as a breakthrough. It's bullshit. I mean, to, yeah. to actually say, I mean, because th- think about what that would mean. When I walked into this class an hour ago, I was at this level of acting, and now I've had a breakthrough. And for everything that I do now, for the rest of my life, from here on in, will be a certain step better it's a nonsense you know like you have good days and bad days and days where you feel inspired and days where you do absolutely shocking work and it's (laughs) just the more you do the more you practice you get better so teaching really at its best I think is just giving people an opportunity to feel open and relaxed enough to try and just get some more practice because if you try to do that in the industry particularly in this industry now in Australia at the moment trying to you know just get all those acting hours on the board you'd have to be working in the industry for 30 years before you've got sort of so so training really should be just a way to truncate that you know like if you go to acting school for three years you 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 should be getting 10 years worth of experience Mm. out out in the industry and it's certainly you know and I mean I sound like such an old fuddy-duddy when I talk like this but you know in my when I was acting school you'd do 12 plays you know now you're lucky if you do two in three years and 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 you also uh, probably don't get to do a full play like the same character I remember finishing drama school and getting my first role that was actually the same role for the whole play because I was so used to doing scene work, you know, and that's what you yeah, show. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what you need. So, no, I don't really believe in methods, but um, I, I think do stuff that works for you. Yeah. If it's useful, use it. If it's not, don't use it, you know. You don't have to be tied to any of this stuff. You don't have to do the same method every play, you know. Some stuff you might slot into really easily. Some other stuff might be more of a challenge. And so maybe you do have to go and talk to people or read more or something because you just don't understand that world as well, you know. In in terms of good old-fashioned kind of technique too, there's, you know, like once you're doing sort of heightened texts like Shakespeare and stuff like that, there's, there's all sorts of stuff you can learn then in training. But, but again, that's more of a practice thing. Like, you mm. know, how do you speak verse? Well, you just, you know, practice it a lot. Listen to people who are speaking it well. What are they doing? What are they doing with the ends of lines? What are they doing with their, with their stress? And, uh, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And, I think that should be more of the focus in a lot of the teaching work. But as soon as an 
as soon as it starts to become about the acting teacher, I get very, very nervous. And some of the uh, techniques situation. too that I've come up, uh, it comes up more when I go into acting schools, really. And, of course, and, yeah. And, and sometimes students will get up and do stuff and I'll, I'll sort of ask them about how they prepared for it and they'll go, oh, well, someone taught me this thing. And so what I'm doing at the moment, it's so complicated. I remember, I remember one example words to the effect of oh what do you do i'm not quite sure what you're doing oh well uh, we've learned this thing called targeting now yes. i certainly have read declan donnellan's book and I, I you know the actor in the target and i thought i knew what targeting was but this was a whole other kind of thing so while i'm talking to this person in the scene i'm actually targeting my grandmother who died some years ago and blah 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 this who's which is nothing to do with the scene i'm going um so what do you what is your actual relationship with the person that you're on the stage with you you know it's oh well that's not about that it's about this and you know, I just thought what and you know it's quite hard to teach and so I understand that people who are teaching grab onto these kind of techniques because it certainly will fill a it'll fill a two hour class yeah you know? yeah and if you're not sure what to say or how to help them just by looking at the work then yeah sure you can teach them this thing but honestly half the time they they get end up so confused as to what they're supposed to do and mm. really if there's any sort of method i like it it it, it is the you know yeoldy stanislavski but the important thing about that is that he he didn't make that up it's just a way of talking about what people do in life you know mm. he's not inventing like a way to act that is different from life he's just putting a name on what we do in life when we are with someone, we want something from them, and so we play certain, we do things to them, and he calls that actions. You know, mm. you don't have to start thinking about like your dead grandmother or something. No. It's just like, what on earth are you talking? Like, sure, if you want to do that, that can be homework. If that gets you in the right frame of mind, that's fine. Do do whatever you like. But once you're on, it's pretty sort of. It, it's just easier than a lot of people. Make. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we just overcomplicate yeah. it all with this method, method, method stuff. And it's just like, I just think, ask yourself, what are you doing? Like, what, you know, what are you doing with, the, with your acting partner? What do you want from them and how are you going to get it? And I certainly don't walk into a rehearsal now and think, what's my objective and what's my action? But if I'm stuck... I, yes. I would think that. And certainly if I was like directing and if I was on. stuck, yes, mm. I, they would be the kind of questions I would ask. If you're not stuck, I think just follow your instincts. When you land a role yeah. and you start working on it um, and then you get into the rehearsal room, do you ever get a sense of imposter syndrome or, <laughs> yeah, feeling overwhelmed by yeah yeah like that famous story that judy dench always puts a bag, bag close to yes. the exit so she can get out do we believe that i find it hard to believe but um <laughs> i i don't know that i feel like an imposter i feel insecure like i just think how can you not i'm suspicious of people who say that they never that they never get nervous or they're never insecure or anything like that so i have that i, I always think oh god i hope i don't stuff this up but i i guess i just think that all actors most just about all actors or actors probably the ones worth worth their salt kind of feel that so it doesn't make me feel like an imposter i just kind of think oh god we're all going through that in fact often i'll sort of look over to the 
person, you know, who might be playing the lead and think, oh, you poor bastard, you know, yeah, like, rather yeah. than I'm, I'm not jealous of them all because we've all had our turn playing those leads, but sometimes it's nice to sit back and think, oh, okay, like, they're more, at least there's someone in the room more terrified than me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I absolutely struggle with all those insecurities and I hope I don't stuff this up. And, and also just worrying about the, you know, you hold your breath when you go on the first day and look at the design and think, I hope this is not going to be hijacked by some crazy idea. I hope everybody's going to get on and be nice, which normally happens. But, you know, when it doesn't, it can be a nightmare. Mm. Uh, so I'm nervous for that. I'm nervous about me. Um, but I don't feel like an imposter because I just think that's part of it and I don't think that's helpful I think you have mm. to like I would say and like I don't really believe it about Judy Dench because she's so great yeah. I don't really believe she can actually be going through other times she might be insecure when she walks in she might be shy a lot of terrific actors are really shy but I don't really think at this stage of her career she thinks that she's a bad actor yeah I, 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 I can't believe that can be true but of mm. course she thinks, oh, God, I, I hope I don't stuff this up. I hope I'm going to be okay. Mm. We all think that. And, and I don't think that gets in the way because you do your best and you hope that you hope that you don't stuff it up. But if you're sitting there all the time thinking, I don't deserve to be here, which is what you would think if you were an imposter, that's very unhelpful and you have to try and let that go because that's not going to allow you to do very good work. Yeah, I was going to say before, I remember being on set for the first time and the first ad it was his first day and it was also my first day was my first time doing a tv show it's sort of a long story but i kind of made a bit of a mistake while we were doing our first recorded kind of rehearsal thing and i just freaked out and thought oh this is it for me i'm gonna be fired and he was kind of just you know not very loving <laughs> and because he was I found out later when I became friends with him and chatted to him about it he was like oh my gosh it was my first day and I realized that I was being watched in helping you mm. so I had to like find a way to help you without you know my own job I just was mm. trying to deal with my own job and my own nerves and my own trying to impress and I was like oh well I was trying to impress everyone and mm. and it was such a great chat because it was that realization of oh yeah everyone is dealing with their own stuff <laughs> Look, particularly, I think, going on like a like a film or telly set like that, I mean, they can be terrifying experiences for me because everybody's new. I don't feel nearly as comfortable on them as I do in a rehearsal room for mm. theatre. And so I think you just have to really exactly that say, look, everybody's dealing with their own stuff. They're not as interested in me as you think that they That's are. Right, if yeah. they're cranky with me, it's this, there's something else is going on and I do have the right to be here and it'll be okay. Now, I say that, but uh, I can really get myself into a bit of a state on, on, on those sets. I'm better in a rehearsal room, but I find mm. it film and TV sets, just because I haven't been on terribly many, I, I find mm. pretty terrifying. Do you have ambition to do more film and TV? Yeah, I would love to. I, I would love to. I, I, I sort of get to the stage now, and, I, you know, I've done a little bit, and the last thing I did, I was there for a couple of weeks, and that was not because, you know, after... I just find that I start to relax and then the job is over, but it can take me that long to relax, and I sort of get caught up in, oh, there's different sort of acting in front of a... Uh, uh, which I don't believe. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't believe there's different theatre acting and different... It's just a different audience, you know? Like, is the ca you know, the camera's your audience and it's a foot away, or the you're in a the Ros Packer and they're miles away. 
and so of course the the form that you do is not the same but i don't think there are any different rules i still think you you're mm. trying to be as real as possible and mm. kenneth branner i saw in an, in an interview once say um you know when he directs a film obviously he knows what every shot is and you know he's done all his work he said well, he said when i act in film i would never say to them like what's the shot how close is it or anything he said makes no difference to me i don't care if the camera's miles away or whether it's right in my face i just play the same scene and i just do it as well as i can i thought well if it's good enough for the good enough for kenneth branner i'll i'll take that on board you know and I don't see a lot of people who are really good on theatre falling apart in front of a camera. I don't see that. You know, all those people who are enjoying film careers now, like Judy Dench and McKellen and Patrick Stewart and stuff like that, they're great on film. They're absolutely terrific on film. So I don't think it, you see it quite yeah. so much the other way around. Because but they've been different there too, whole... though, because people who people go to the theatre more. And yeah. so you do have the yeah. names of theatre. Yeah, I think that too. But I, I remember when I was, you know, 20, there were people who, who were famous to me who only did theatre and stuff. Mm. So, uh, so I guess those people still exist. But yes, it's much, much, much smaller in, yeah. in this country. And for me, because I want to be a theatre actor myself, I guess, as well. Like yeah. going and yeah. watching lots of plays and then seeing the people who are getting the work and... Yeah, you know. Well, it was my first love too, so it's what got me. You know, I didn't. It's only sort of later in your career, I think that. Well, everyone has a different career, but late, later in my career, that I think, oh God, was I supposed to get famous and be a film star or something? And you have to <laughs> kind of remind yourself, well, actually, no. What, what was your goal? You know, all I wanted mm. to do ever was work in the theatre. You know, I just thought, mm. that, wouldn't that be amazing if I can ever just get a job in the theatre when I get out of acting school mm. or something? You know, so that's that's where. So you have to kind of remember where you, what your goal was, I guess. Yeah. Have you ever had the goal to take that overseas? I didn't. I was quite passionate about staying in Australia when I was younger, and 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 I, you know, because I thought, oh, it's an, it was an exciting time, and and John's company was just starting up, and and um, I, I just thought, yeah, no, we shouldn't have to go away to do stuff, and but now I'm not so sure. Now, now I'm not. I mean, I'm well you know attached to my life here in australia so i'm i'm and i'm too old to be going i i have no desire to go and start again somewhere so that's not going to happen mm. but i mean if i if i was talking to a younger person now who who and they expressed an interest to go overseas i'd say yeah go i mean i wouldn't be pushing everybody but if they were interested to go whereas probably back in the day when I was 20, I'd go, no, no, you should stay here. We'll make it all happen here. But yeah. I don't see a lot of um, opportunities for younger actors here. And I'm sort of, I guess, slightly disappointed when I look back yeah. over those last, you know, what, you know, like 30 plus years, I think. Because it is a challenge. Like, yeah, you know, it really I'm, I'm going to try it. <laughs> I've yeah. got an agent in England and I have plans to to I can get an English passport because my parents are English. Yeah, well that's so I've got helpful. plans to kind of go and give it a go. Yeah, um, well I would in, I would say I yeah. Why wouldn't you? It does have that confusing thing because I also do feel attached and I do feel mm. like mm. I I want to make this industry better. Mm. But so much of the advice is that you go and then you come back and you get more work. So if I go and have a career in England, then I can come back later and go. Oh, I'm that actor that has done all this work in England, you know. And I'm sad that it is that, though. Yeah. And I think it's the same with the whole LA thing. Yeah. Or, 
um, Canada, apparently. There's a lot of film work in Canada. I've had friends go there and, and you know, land and get a bunch of jobs. And and it's just a different world now. And, the, you know, all yeah. the young actors graduating are thinking all that stuff. I can honestly say when I got out of Whopper, I don't remember anybody sitting around talking about, will we go to LA? It just did not wow. come up. We were sort of aware of people who got, you know, famous from Australia and then became international film stars but they were people who'd sort of had a film career here and then went over to America and got you know like Mel Gibson did films in Australia and then went to America you know that's kind of my vintage you know Judy Davis did films here and then when we all thought Mm -hmm. Judy Davis was the best actor in the whole wide world you know but then she went overseas and got whereas now it's it's sort of like oh someone you know left acting school went straight to LA waited there for five years and then got huge you yeah know? Um, and then it's like wow this random Australian actor that you've never heard of yeah that's right is making it big there yeah, yeah that's right but I don't remember a single person in my year ever saying that's are, so are we going to go to LA we used to just sit around and go what work will we hope uh, you know and there were some there were films being made and stuff so certainly some of them came out and did films here but I don't remember us ever talking mm. about going overseas i just see so few it's opportunities too i mean even what we were talking about before right. about you know the fact that that shouldn't be that hard to get an audition i mean we were talking about this in the in um the other day in rehearsal too because um you know there are some young actors in that and i'm sort of slightly embarrassed when they ask me about sort of what was it like when you got out well you know what what it was like when i got out it was easier to put on your own indie work which yeah. we which we all did that was right at the beginning of when stuff was being put on at the old fits um we used that space um i, I did an indie show at the griffin we did indie stuff at at the seymour center um i did a, a play that I, a one-man play that i wrote myself that we did two seasons of now it was it was tough and we didn't make lots of money, but we didn't have to spend ne- anything like the amount of money in terms of hiring spaces. Yeah. We all lived in nice places. At bar- you know, I m- got straight out of acting school. I was living in Coogee, sharing for a little while and then by myself for a little while. You know, you could you could do that by working a couple of nights a week at a bar or something. Um, yeah. It was just, I don't think it was as bloody hard as it is now. Now you go and see, you know, indie stuff and there might, it might be, half the cast might be really quite established actors. And I think, what is going on here? This should be for people who are, who, who are this is not for established actors, but it's because they're, they're taking jobs there because... There it, aren't any so, others. That's right. Yeah. It's so hard to get into any of the yeah. companies. That's right. Um, who, is, who are using the same people or doing very small casts. Yeah, so as those opportunities shrink more and more, I think, yes, why wouldn't you think about going overseas? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I have no idea whether it's any easier in London. Probably not. But um, No, I don't know. I think there's just more things. I mean, we are lucky to have things like Fringe Festival and, yeah. you know, all those yeah. kind of things that are open to putting on whatever kinds of shows. So you can try writing something yeah. and putting yeah. it on. Um, yeah. So there are, there are some things, but um, certainly I find it very difficult myself and see other friends finding it difficult and and i get a little bit because you do hear a lot you know sometimes kind of older actors going oh you know well it was ever that way and and you know it's always been hard and and it has always been hard but i do think it's harder now what would you say is the most challenging role of your career so far probably uh different things for different reasons um 
I've had some challenging things uh, because I've found myself in situations that I didn't like being in in terms of maybe the people that I worked with, so I won't mention those, but, but probably one of the worst plays that I was involved in was not about it's difficult because of the role, but it was difficult because just those group of people should not have been in that room together at the same time. (laughs) The universe conspired to make that happen, and so that can be really challenging. But I have to say they're very rare. Most of my best friends are are actors, and I really love actors. So, But when it goes wrong, it can go horribly wrong. It can be challenging for... I did a very long run of Macbeth playing Macbeth, and that was extremely challenging because I kind of thought... Um, it just went for too long. It, it, it went. We did it, you know, I think 170 production shows or something. Um, wow. So I was losing my mind by the end of it. And I, I think I sort of had thought it was such a dream to get something like that. And we, you know, like all over the country from the Opera House on the east to His Majesty's in the, in the west and all manner of places in between for Belle. And that's a very black play. And I just sort of thought, this should be the happiest I ever am. And yet something's not quite working for me. But I didn't really have anyone saying to me at the time, you know, Sean, it might just be the actual, you know, you're stuck in this really dark world of Macbeth for the best part of a year. So that, that was really challenging. And also you learn a lot, I think, those challenges just how you get through them. Um, I was surrounded by fantastic people. My Lady Macbeth was Linda Cropper, who is still one of my dearest, dearest friends ever, and we sort of kept each other afloat through that. But, um, but yeah, so they can, the challenges come along when you least suspect them, really, and they can often be for other reasons than just the role. In terms of, like, a role that I've thought, oh... I don't know. I suppose Macbeth was really challenging because it, it it's, it's hard Macbeth. to yeah, yeah, and it's hard to imagine. Yeah, the ones where it's hard to imagine yourself in that. I mean, I mean, who would ever get to that level of despair? I mean, it's mm. it's it's so bleak. Mm. I find it hard to watch that play now, just having mm. done it so many times. I just get a little twinge of horror which is supposed to I guess when you're watching that play but for the, all the wrong reasons <laughs> I'm usually concerned for the actor and just think oh god are they okay stop this play it's terrible um, I know what's going to happen what does success mean to you well this would be certainly one of the survival tips too I think you have to define your own success and and I, I see too many people take on other people's versions of success a little bit what we were talking about before you th- you know like all I ever wanted to do was work in the theater but then you know 10 years out you suddenly think oh I'm I'm a failure because I haven't done any film and television or I'm a failure because I'm not famous or all those things that really were not the reason that I went into it in the first place and you have to hang on to those reasons it doesn't mean that they can't change along the way but I think if you start you know if you start trying to measure success by I need to have earned this amount of money or or I mean not that many people do that but certainly or I need to have played that role or I need to be playing leads in that company I think that way lies unhappiness because I just see people once you achieve that what you do Mm. like aim for the next thing and once you achieve that next thing and so you're constantly sort of trying to grasp at these things and I think it's just healthier and 
part of your survival to go to kind of remember what why you got into it and I really did just think wouldn't it be amazing if someone ever gave me a job yeah uh, so uh, and I really when I was a, a, you know my heroes when I was late teenager and going to see plays were those sort of jobbing actors mm. I really you know and maybe I wasn't ambitious enough you know and I'm not saying like and, and maybe and if your heroes are the people on the screen sure then go for that that's great then like whatever it, but mm. but just remember why you got into it and what gives you the joy and for me the joy was just like working with people who I really liked and exploring these amazing writers and and working in the theatre because I really loved going to the theatre when I was younger and um, and I'm really finding that now even working with a couple of years off th because of the pandemic I think you know it's sort of less about the actual how good is the production for me I just think I just feel very privileged to be working with you know particularly in you know in this, as I said before when it goes bad it can go really bad but but when you're working with nice people and the great thing about working in the theatre is you work with people who are older and people who are younger. It's just a very privileged way to earn a living, really. And you're right about the relationships that you can build, the friendships you can make. Yeah, yeah. And what I like as well is what you mentioned before about when you're playing a different role and you kind of get to dip into that world. Yeah, yeah. You get to learn about yeah. something or someone that maybe you wouldn't have yeah. got to learn yeah. about before. Yeah. I played a character that loved space. I'm not really interested in yeah. space. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't sit around reading yeah. astronomy books. And when I was playing this character, I went, okay, I'm going to read a couple of books written by astronauts and learn about that. And, yeah. and, and it was such a cool little delve into and, that world. And, and that's great. And that's part of the success. I guess what I mean is that I can go out and, but yes, if I'm doing that, if there's something that's feeding my mind and that I'm, I'm, I'm interested, so long as I remain being interested, mm. I can go out and be at the ensemble and play to, you know, 20 old ladies and still feel quite successful doing that. Yeah. I think because this is actually what I wanted to do. I mean, for me, when theatre is great... For me, that is the art form that inspires me and excites me more than any other. So to even even when you don't, when you're far away from that being in something that's great, you're sort of chipping away at it. You're doing your best. And if you, so long as you can show up every day and do try your, your hardest, that feels kind of like a version of success to me. All right, and happy to count that as a survival tip. So yeah, right, four yeah, more yeah. if you've got them. Survival yeah, yeah. tips. Uh, yeah, um, okay. Uh, be ready, I suppose. And I don't mean that I'm not one to sort of do lots of practice at home and stuff, but I often say when I'm teaching, getting your first job is not the hard part, it's getting your second job. So treat every job like it's the most important thing because you never know who the hell's going to be seeing it. And uh, that's the only way that I've got an, a, a career, you know, is that I think like most of us, I'm not a great auditioner. It's usually people have come and seen something and gone, oh, what about that peculiar fellow? Let's like get him in. So even if you're in something that you think, I'm not sure about this, you, you've got to treat it like it's the best thing that you've ever been in and do your absolute darndest to be good in it. Maybe think about, can you do a, d diversify a little bit? When I got out and I wasn't working, I did, I mean, you know, I hate to say, I'll go and write a play because I know that's really hard, but I did, you know, 
write my own work and I never thought oh I'll be a writer or anything it was just that I didn't have a job Mm. um, for a while and you still wanted to be creative yeah that's Mm. right that's right but I think that probably did get me a job and just keep enjoying it yeah that's a good one (laughs) I just see it consume people and there's no shame in saying uh, it's not happening for me anymore Mm. it's it's not making me happy anymore there's no shame in that at all go and pursue something else you know Mm. yeah yeah because sometimes you see people and they seem so sort of consumed by it in a bad way or so sort of cranky about it or or bitter or angry and don't get me wrong there are frustrations in the industry that make me cranky as hell sometimes but overall if you can't sort of go to work and still enjoy it yeah and make sure that it's still feeding you and exciting you and yeah because it isn't yeah because if it isn't doing that for you then it is worth considering finding something that is going to do that and And don't get stuck yeah don't get stuck like it is great as you know i'm getting on a bit but it's great when I go and work with young people and they're like talking about stuff that I don't know what the hell they're talking about (laughs) and that can be confronting for a while but like try and stay open try Mm. and stay open that's a survival thing and that'll hopefully keep you happy when the work comes along you know because look there is a lot of shit in the industry there's a lot of shit so where the good stuff has to really fulfill you enough to get you through the shit that you have to go through and putting up with the constant sort of chipping away trying to get work yeah so just make sure that you enjoy the good stuff that's great well thank you so much i really appreciate that's you okay i don't know if that was five or my five survival tips oh, were they very were, good but they were fantastic great thank, thank you. you it's been nice talking i hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of an actor survives with me emily mcknight This podcast is produced by Phoebe Fuller. It's edited by Adam Buncher. And the music is an excerpt from Saw, a marimba concerto by Robert Otomo. Subscribe to the podcast, like us on Instagram, check out our website. We would love your support. Thanks. Thanks.